Please turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 3. And for those of you who have been waiting impatiently for uh, the bad news to be over, this is our last bad news message. Uh, next week is the missions conference, and uh, it's really going to be good. This, the, these people are in the in the Middle East, and uh, they they are on the firing line there and sharing the good news of Jesus. And they're seeing people by the hundreds turn to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And uh, so we're going to get a report straight from the straight from the Middle East. And uh, I, I hope you'll come to that um, and and appreciate what these people are doing, and you, you better know how to pray for them as they reach out. Um, and then we get to good news for four weeks, and that's right before Christmas, so it's an appropriate timing. Our Father, this morning we thank you for your, um, for your work of salvation. We realize you know what it means to give your life. Father, you understand what it means to give your son, to give his life. And uh, so we, we thank you that you're willing, you were willing, you so loved us that you were willing to give your son to die in our place and for our sins. I, I pray that this morning as we look at this last bad news message, that we would realize why we need to understand the bad news before we really appreciate the good news. And so it is a bleak, helpless, hopeless picture without you taking action. And so thank you for your love for us. May we really enjoy um, and appreciate the uh, wonderful news of Jesus our Lord. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. We began this series with Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, where God describes himself to Moses. Moses has said, I want to see your glory. And God says, you can't really see it because you wouldn't be able to live. Uh, it, it's that amazing. Um, but let me tell you, and he says, Yahweh that's God's Old Testament name, Yahweh, Yahweh God. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, abundant in truth, forgiving, just. And the Bible says Moses heard these words and bowed low to the earth and worshiped. And we should do the same. Notice one of those characteristics or attributes of God was justice. And we've been looking from chapter 1, verse 18 of Romans to chapter 3, verse 20 that we'll end with today. We've been looking at that one characteristic, one characteristic God's justice. Is there anyone or... Can anybody do anything that would ever earn or deserve God's justice? And, and so that's what we're looking at today. The scene, as we have seen from chapter 1, verse 18 and following, we've seen that the, the scene is a, a, a courtroom where God is the judge and 
the Apostle Paul is the prosecuting attorney. And this indictment is being read to fallen men and women, fallen humanity. And just as the sinner hears all these words and starts to speak up and try to defend him or herself, God tells him to stop talking. Because on that day, our only hope is going to be in God's good news, whose name is Jesus. Why must we see the, the blackness of sin and the hopelessness and the helplessness of our situation apart from the Lord Jesus? Charles Spurgeon wrote these words. Too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of the Savior. He who has stood before God convinced and condemned with a rope about his neck is the man to weep for joy when he is pardoned. To hate the evil which has been forgiven him and to live in honor of the Redeemer by whose blood he has been cleansed. End of quote. It's quite a quote. Let me read it again. Too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of the Savior. He who has stood before God convinced and condemned with a rope about his neck is the man to weep for joy when he is pardoned, to hate the evil which has been forgiven him, and to live in honor of the Redeemer by whose blood he has been cleansed. Every person we have seen from chapter 1, verse 18 on, every person... I don't care, it doesn't matter if it's a pagan, it doesn't matter if it's a moral person, it doesn't matter if it's a religious person. Every person is hopelessly, helplessly guilty before God. And the sin is each of them has suppressed truth, known truth about God. You see, without Jesus, every person, each of us, has a terrible problem. And so today, the Apostle Paul, the prosecuting attorney, is going to summarize all three cases. The case versus the outright rotten sinner, the case versus the moral person, the case versus the religious uh, person. He's going to wrap up all those in verses 9 through 20. And so I'd like for you to look at Romans chapter 3, verse 9. And just listen to these. He's summarizing. What then? Are we, and he's talking about the Jews there better than, better than they, and he's talking about the non-Jewish people there. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. That word righteous means just. It's a legal term. There's none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps, that's an extremely poisonous snake the poison of asps is under their is under their lips 
whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Notice verse 9, all are under sin. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. The Apostle Paul appeals to the ultimate authority, the authority for every Christian, the Word of God. He quotes from the Psalms. He quotes from Isaiah. And in verse 9, he asks the question, are we Jews better than those Gentiles? And he's asking that because the Jews have received wonderful privileges and advantages. But they're responsible for using those. And so he asks the question, well, then, are we Jews better than those Gentiles? And the answer, obviously, is not at all. Because without Jesus, both Jews and Greeks are all under sin there's no one exempt. Something is inherently wrong. And even our thoughts and our, you, you know, and, and our speech and our behavior are affected by sin. I, I've loved the graphic that we've been using for this, uh, this series from 118 through 320. The, the graphic is that, you know, the guy shooting the arrows and trying to hit the target that's across this chasm there, and all the arrows fall short. That's what the word sin means. It has the idea of missing the mark, but it also means to, to fall short. Nobody, no matter how good of an archer they are, can ever hit the target. It's not that they just barely miss it. They all fall short of it. They never hit it. They can't hit it because there's something inherently wrong. And then in verses 10 through 12, he, he quotes from Psalm chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, and he says, the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. It, it, it's, it's on permanent record. Now, compared to others, some might say, well, uh, well, I'm better or maybe I'm worse than someone else, but when, when compared to God and his truth, and that's who the comparison is with here, you aren't comparing yourself with another group. Well, I'm more religious than that sinner. I, I'm more moral than that person. Well, I don't do that. We can always find somebody worse than us, but the comparison is not with any other hu human being. The comparison is with God and his truth. And he says, compared to God and his truth, no one, no one is righteous or just. Verse 11, not only is every person under sin, but no one is even seeking God. The word seek means a, a determined search after something. Here, here are all these moral people and all these religious people. And the, well, certainly if I try hard enough, I'll be able to get right with God. I'll be able to get just with God. But not one of those is truly seeking the, the true God of the Bible. They're not. 
They can say whatever they want. As I said, they, they are sincere. There's no question. They are sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. Someone wrote these words, Whatever religion may be, Christianity is not man's search for God, nor is the Bible a record of such a search. Christianity is God's search for rebellious man, and the Bible is his message of redemption. The word redeem means to go into a slave market and buy somebody, pay the price necessary, the cost of whatever that slave would be, and bring that that slave out of the market and set him or her free. That's redemption. And the Bible is the message, God's message of redemption. Verse 12, all have turned away. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. So you see that the evaluation here is God. What does God see when he looks at the human race? Every individual in the human race. And what he sees is every person is turned aside. They've deviated from the right way. They've deviated from his way. They all fall short. And if you take into account someone's motives and the power source by which they're operating, no one is doing what is good. No one is doing what is just in God's sight. No one. In verses 13 and 14, it shows that their talk is affected. That's from Psalm chapter 5, verse 9, Psalm 140, verse 3, Psalm chapter 10, verse 7. He quotes the Old Testament scripture here for these Jews who thought, well, we've got all the advantages. We must be better than the non-Jews. As he quotes here, he says their, their throat is an open grave, now, now visualize these things. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of deadly snakes is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. And, and you look here how their talk is affected by sin. It's like the doctor says, open your mouth and stick out your tongue. And God examines it. And after the exam, he says, you smell like an open grave. By the way, that's not a compliment, okay? (laughs) You have a tongue that deceives. You use biting and stinging words to curse and hurt. Just in examining their words, God sees this open grave and it smells this horrible stench. And in verses 15 through 18, he says, their feet are affected. And he's quoting Isaiah 59 there, verses 7 and 8. And the Apostle Paul, the prosecuting attorney, shows that bloodshed is not a mistake. It's not an accident. Where people go and what they do, destruction and misery mark their paths. You can trace humanity by the ruin and the distress they leave behind, the way of peace they don't know. They don't know it. There is no permanent peace. They're not even acquainted with it. 
I, I put on your handout, if you're filling, following along on the handout, some, most of you probably are following along, if you're following along on anything, you're probably following the two-page thing, but on the bulletin, uh, you can fill in these words, every person's entire being is affected by sin. Every person's entire being is affected by sin. That he or she is a sinner by nature. There are three things here that we're looking at. He or she is a sinner by nature. They are sinners by representative, who is, by the way, the first man, Adam. And they are sinners by choice. So every person is a sinner by nature, by representative, and by choice. These are every person's basic problems. And verse 18 gives the basic reason why there's no fear of God at all. There's no reverence for him. There's no respect for him. He's quoting Psalm 36 verse 1 there. And after he quotes all these verses from the Old Testament to convince at least the Jews, but also the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, that nobody is right or just before God. And their talk and their walk reflects that sinful condition. Then he gives us the way that a person can't be made just by God. Verse 19 says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And he makes it clear here that every mouth is closed. All are accountable to God. And when he begins in verse 19, he basically says, now we absolutely know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. The Jews, because God had given the law to them in written form, but the Gentiles don't have an excuse either because his words were written in their hearts according to chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. So everybody is under law. What's the purpose of everyone being on the law, under the law? So that, number one, every mouth may be closed. Number two, all the world may become accountable to God. And number three, every person will know that he or she is a sinner. The first one there, every mouth may be closed. The law stops, or it means to block or stop up or fence in our mouths. <laughs> we, we must be made speechless. And you hear this today. Some, some people are forever talking about God. They criticize him. They say what he should or shouldn't do. They question him. They give him counsel. 
But God makes us realize that all our efforts to defend ourselves or to blame others and circumstances must finally give way to silence. Shut our mouths, Lord. Stop us from talking. And the purpose of chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 3, verse 18, is to forbid our saying, yes, I agree, those people deserve that, God, but I... There's no more talking. It's time to listen. I'd say shut up, but my mom told me I shouldn't use those words. But shut us up. You see, God, God has this wonderful news, but he can't tell us. Uh, if we keep on insisting on finding others worse than ourselves. Well, I'm religious and that person's just moral or I'm moral and that person's just an outright rotten sinner. You know, be quiet. God has this good news, but he can't tell us if we don't agree we're all under sin. As long as you have an excuse... We won't listen to God's good news. We're all accountable under judgment to God. It's that interesting verse in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 that says, It is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. There are two judgments. One is uh, talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's the judgment seat of Christ. It's talking about 2 Corinthians. It's all talked, so talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There are two, two judgments. There's the, there's the judgment seat of Christ. I look at that as an awards banquet. Every Christian is going to be there. No Christian will be missing. There will be no unbelievers there. It's only for believers. There's another judgment that's talked about in Revelation chapter 20. It's called the judgment seat or the great white throne judgment and only unbelievers will be there. There will be no Christians there, only unbelievers. People who have rejected the known truth and never turned to God by faith. It's appointed for men and women to die once and after this comes judgment. It depends on what you've done with Jesus. Verse 20 that uses the word justified there. It says, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. That's also the word that's translated righteous or right in God's sight. Again, it's a, it's a legal term. It's a word that means to not only be declared right or just, but made right or just. And, and we, we understand, and we've been giving this message every week, and we'll especially see it in our next message in a couple of weeks, that Jesus satisfied the Father's justice because of who he is and what he did on the cross. And the Bible says if we accept 
by faith, this one who died on the cross and whose name is Jesus, if we hear that message, believe that message, and call on Jesus' name, that amazing changes take place. And you've heard me mention these changes many times because it's so astounding to me that the moment that a person becomes a Christian, fiddles takes place. F-H-I-D-L-S. It means forgiveness of sins takes place the moment that you by faith receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Uh, the, the, the H stands for heart made new. He gives you a new heart. He, it's a heart transplant. He takes out the old heart, gives you a new heart. You have a new heart. So F-H-I stands for intimate relationship with God. You now know God as your father. You are part of his family. You are his child, his adopted child. You are. We're born again as children. We have been adopted by God. There's nothing that hasn't been covered. It takes place the moment that you by faith come to know Jesus as Lord. D stands for direct access to God. That you don't need to go to Jerusalem and offer a sacrifice in a temple that is no longer there. You don't have to go to a church. You don't have to go through a priest. You have direct access to God. There's no veil. <laughs> There's no veil in the temple. The L stands for law written on our hearts and minds. That now when you obey or want to obey, you, you want to obey now. You don't have to obey. It's not a law. You have to obey you, you want to obey because he's written his laws on our hearts and on our minds. It's wonderful truth. And then the S stands for spirit. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in our bodies. He takes up permanent residence. Jesus said, there, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I gotta leave so that I can send this helper, this spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. I, I, I've gotta send him and he's not only gonna be with you like I've been here physically on earth, but he's gonna be in you. And all those things, all six of those things take place the moment that you hear the message, believe the message, and call upon the name of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul says, you can't get this by any law. You can't behave well enough that you'd ever be forgiven of your sins. You can't behave well enough. You can't keep this, have certain laws, or you can't do that to have any of those things, uh, to have your heart changed. That the law can save no one, it, it only reveals and condemns. And he says this is a clear statement that God's law is like a, a spiritual x ray, which shows the true condition of every person, but is not in itself a cure. You can go, I had an x-ray done on my knees. I had an x-ray done on my, my hip. Uh, you know, when I had it replaced, they, they did an x-ray to see. I, I thought it was just a little groin pull. My hip was wearing out. And they used an x-ray to show that. But you know, that x-ray didn't fix me in any way, shape, or form. It showed what the problem was, but it didn't tell me the way or that it was the way to solve it.
the law. It reveals the spiritual condition of every person, a sinner by nature, a sinner by representative, a sinner by choice and practices. But it could do nothing to cure me, to make me right or just with God. I put on your handout, law exhibits the moral perfection of God. It reveals the inexcusable guilt of mankind. It does what it's supposed to do. It has its purposes. But it's not a way of salvation. It's not a way of deliverance. And I go on to say there on the handout, by the works of the law, no flesh will be made right slash just with God. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Place yourself under a law and you actually sin more, not less. Incredible truth. <laughs> you know, we do this with our government. Well, man, it's wrong to do that. Let's make a law against it. Well, does that fix it? No. It actually makes people sin more. So to understand sin, we must understand the law. The law deepens our awareness of failure. It loudly proclaims our need for the good news of God, our country's solution. You look at our country, and this started back in the, the, you know, in the 60s, 1960s. Our country's solutions, let's, let's stop prayer in school. Let's outlaw the name of Jesus, unless it's said as a swear word. Let's get rid of God. God is dead. I'm, many of you would remember that movement. Let's get rid of absolutes. Everything is relative. It was fine for back during that time, but we're, we're at a different place in culture now. It, it's fine. It's, it, as, long as, as long as our culture, its opinions, you know, it, it says it's okay, then it's okay. Let's get rid of any absolutes. And, and let's, let's redefine what was once called sin. Let's legalize it. And you can see where our country is. I, I think we were at one time a, a relationship that at least gave, gave a, a nod to God and his truth. And there was a morality that developed from that. There was a good morality it was. But now I would say that the best description of our country is in chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Outright rotten sinners. And if we stop here, it's the darkest picture ever painted. Because every man, woman, and child stands before God guilty. And God's judgment is universally demanded. His wrath is continually poured out from heaven against all ungodliness, that's sins against God, and unrighteousness, that's the injustice of mankind toward one another. God, God pours out his wrath and it reveals itself in sexual immorality and it reveals itself in sexual depravity and it, and it reveals itself in social disintegration. 
people trying to destroy each other through words and actions. And God's wrath is poured out against that, his anger. And also there's this coming day of wrath for every unbeliever. And realize what needs to be done here. We, we need to change families. We need to, we need to change representatives. And we need to have our hearts changed. And we need to have forgiveness for our sins. And apart from radical heart surgery and dealing with sins, there's no hope for anybody. Because the Bible describes us as dead in our spirits. And dead in our sins. So just to give you hope, okay? Look at 21 and 22. (laughs) But now, apart from the law, the righteousness or justice of God has been manifested or revealed, being witnessed by the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, even the righteousness or justice of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Notice he uses the word all there. Whoever has faith in the Lord Jesus, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the good news. If you can stand waiting two weeks, we'll go through it together. If you can't, continue reading right now and see the good news. (laughs) And the good news is talked about in the rest of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4 and chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8. Continues by showing God's mercy and grace in chapters 9, 10, and 11. And then it shows how God is going to live his life through ours because we've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and we're walking by faith. I put on your handout the evidence of history, the testimony of our own lives, and the witness of God's scriptures silence the lips of all. Mankind has never provided a righteousness justice that will satisfy God and the demands of his holy law. Mankind has an incurable problem. He can't change his nature. He can't earn forgiveness of sins. And he's got Adam as his representative. Every person is a sinner by nature by his or her thoughts and practices and by representative. And there I say, until a person comes to know Jesus as Lord, the first man, Adam, is every human being's representative. So are we ready to listen rather than talk? When all else fails, then we are ready to listen to God's message of chapter 3, verse 21, through chapter 8, verse 39. Are we now ready? for God's solution to our dilemma. He has a wonderful, gracious one. His name is Jesus. Father, this is a wrap-up to all you've been teaching us for the last five weeks. Whoa. This is... uh, (laughs) 
this is this is astounding in some ways bleak truth it is truth and people recognize it by trying various ways to find fulfillment in something or someone other than you so they recognize that they're not fulfilled that they're empty they're dead spiritually. And they try all these various, they try morality, they try religion, they try, you know, they try to find fulfillment in themselves, fulfillment in another human being, sexual immorality, I, I, idolatry, sexual depravity, social uh, destructive relationships. None of it fulfills. And they'll never find fulfillment until they come to know Jesus by faith, come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if there's someone here this morning that recognizes that's me, not that was me, that's true for Christians, that was us, but if someone's here today that says that's me, I pray that they would look at verses 21 and 22, that you can believe by faith, you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that person is made right or just with you. And um, you're satisfied because of who died on that cross and the work that he did on that cross. So I pray that today is the first day of some people's lives. Some of the people here who don't know you. I pray that they would understand forgiveness of sins, heart made new, an intimate relationship with you as Father, a direct access to you, your law written on our hearts and on our minds, so we want to obey you. And your Holy Spirit takes up residence in these bodies of ours. I pray that if they, by faith, receive you today, all those things are true of them immediately, right now. And for those of us who have known Jesus maybe for a week, maybe for many years, I pray that we would understand that we, we need to grasp the gravity of sin and sinners and the, the impossible, helpless, hopeless condition that people who don't know you, who don't know Jesus, are experiencing. I, I pray that we would understand that and have great compassion for them and great grace for them, and that we would share the, the delivering message of Jesus is Lord, and you can know him today. So thanks for the opportunities you'll give us to share this message. We're coming up on a season that really lends itself to having more opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ, and it's his name, in his name that we are dismissed.